Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and powering through this week <laughs> is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you? How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm sick, Robert, and this, this is like the first non-COVID sickness I've had since like 2018 or something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like it's been rough. Uh, it's been rough yeah, for a lot I'm, of people. So I mean, I I'm, I'm sure glad that-, that I don't have COVID again, but I don't feel great yeah yeah uh the i guess maybe one thing is you're you probably get a lot of empathy out there because i feel like just about everybody's been sick this winter mm-hmm. and yeah. it has been a big mixture you know i've known a lot of people that have gotten covid but then also a lot of people that have like no i've been tested negative for covid but i'm just sick so you know mm-hmm. uh I, I i think also like we're probably just a little bit more sensitive to it now like you know i think a lot of people are just kind of yeah just like powering through you know just being sick and going places and being like that's just what happens in the winter time and maybe maybe we're all just uh taking stock of like hey maybe we should like be sick for a while like like allow our yeah. sicknesses to like play their play out so well to be clear for everyone we record remotely so i'm not outgoing places yeah no no uh yeah no that was what you said uh you know i don't even go anywhere and i'm getting sick so it's yeah tough, tough 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 break for you um yeah uh that's good i yeah my my uh, my sister got married this weekend um and i got to visit some of the the patreon supporters who are uh in my family so that was nice uh, <laughs> oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to them it was fun uh you know uh i think jasmine you know i i did your wedding what was that at this point like a year ago two years ago i don't know a little over two years ago a little over two years ago, so mm-hmm. you know, a lot, most of the recent weddings I've been to, I've been asked to officiate. So this is this is a worrying trend. Nobody invites me to their wedding anymore unless they want me to do it. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it is it is how it goes. But yeah, uh, enough about us. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be talking about during the show. Um, it is a pretty major week for Kentucky politics and government because filing day has come and gone. We know who's going to be on the primary ballot. And in many of the races, we know who's going to be on the general election ballot. There will actually be quite a low number of contested primaries on both sides mm-hmm. of the ballot. So we're going to be talking through that, kind of how it's breaking down. Of course, if you want details about a lot of the people who are running for these offices... We've done a lot of deep dives on a lot of the people who are running on both sides of the ballot. So so please go check those old shows out. But today what we're going to be talking about are the matchups, where they landed after everybody has filed to run. The next thing uh, we're going to talk about is that the the legislative session uh, did get started. They did their first week. And, and you know, the, the stage is kind of set. They passed a little bit of legislation, but a lot of stuff was filed. Uh, the, the legislation, the legislature kind of comes back at the beginning of February. So we're going to be talking through kind of what what to expect, what we've learned from that first week when they actually were in session and meeting, which, I mean, spoiler alert, alert is not very much, but we will talk through what we do know and, uh, you know, just kind of go from there. So without any further ado, Jasmine, tell us about filing day. Okay, so... The deadline to file was Friday at four o'clock. And so the field is now set. And I'm going to start with uh, the down ballot races and kind of move up. So for treasurer, just one Democrat filed to run Michael Bowman. And he ran for that office in 2019. So that year he had a, a primary and he defeated Josh Mers by a pretty big margin um, but then also went on to lose to incumbent Allison Ball by a big margin, um, 60% to about 39%. Before running for treasurer, he also ran for county clerk in Jefferson County against Bobby Holsclaw, um, who, if you live in Louisville, you know that Bobby Holsclaw is like the Republican that cannot be defeated in Louisville. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he actually did, right? He only did like a point worse, I think, than Tina Ward-Pugh, who was a, you know, Michael mm-hmm. Bowman, I, I don't want to disparage him in any kind of way, but back in 2018, he was a lot more unknown than Tina Ward-Pugh at the time. Like, Tina Ward-Pugh Yeah, this she'd year, been on Metro Council mm-hmm, before. She's somebody that a lot of people knew about. Michael Bowman was kind of, I don't know, generic Democrat on the <laughs> at in 2018. He kind of has more of a record. We've had him on the show. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, you know, he's well qualified to be treasurer, but I mean, he he ran a good race against Bobby Holsclaw, at least as good a race 
race as Tina Ward Pew. They were kind of comparable years. Maybe 2018 might have been just like slightly better, maybe just slightly better. But 2022 is also a little bit, um, you know, of a of a of a Democratic year nationally. So, you know, uh, it was kind of an interesting dynamic uh, going there that he did. Um, he did he did just as well as as Tina Ward Pew against against Bobby Holesclaw. And I was taking a second shot at Treasurer. Yeah, and that county clerk race was 52.3% to 47.7. So that one was really close. Um, but, you know, since he last ran for treasurer, he has worked in the Bashir administration as a special assistant to the lieutenant governor. Um, and prior to that, he's been a branch manager for a bank and also a legislative assistant on Louisville Metro Council. Um, and so... You know, I still don't know, even though he's run for the office before, I'm not really sure, like, what his name recognition is like across the state. It, I would say it's pretty low. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to know who he is just because he was on the ballot running for treasurer last time. If I asked you who the Republican candidate for treasurer was, or I guess if I, you know, maybe I shouldn't ask you. You're not a good person <laughs> Because you're going to know the answer to all the candidates <laughs> in the past, but you know I don't think that the typical Kentuckians is going to know the, uh, the the candidates for a lot of these offices that that lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, so he's our presumptive nominee for the Democrats for treasurer, and for the Republicans, this one's going to be a three way primary. Um, Andrew Cooper Ryder is running. He is. We've talked about him a lot on the show before because he's. The Liberty Republican um, and a former Kentucky Senate candidate. And that's a race that the Republican Party was like putting a lot of money into to for Donald Douglas to keep his seat. Um, And so he's run for Kentucky Senate. um, And he also gained some attention when his coffee shop defied covid orders. So that's the first one. Um, Next is O.J. Oleka. He was most recently the president of the Association of Independent Kentucky Colleges and Universities, and he also served as the chief of staff and deputy treasurer to Allison Ball. And so um, it seems like he would know a lot about what the role of treasurer entails. And then the last... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, that that seems like it would provide a lot of continuity in the office. Um, wouldn't have, a, you know, somebody who would be familiar with the staff already having, you know, been in the, the, the office already. So that would make a lot of sense as to kind of the the favored Republican uh, candidate in the primary. I'm not sure how it breaks down, but that would be my guess. Yeah. And then the last candidate is Mark Metcalf, who is the Garrett County attorney. That's really all that I could find out. I know one thing about, about him. him. I know one thing, and and that is that he well he's a obviously he's a Republican. He's running the Republican mm-hmm. primary, but he was the independent counsel who investigated Allison Leonard and Grimes um, when Andy Bashir was the attorney general. Um, he recused himself oh, of that okay. investigation and appointed Mark Metcalf as the independent counsel there. Um, so you know I'm not really sure if anything ever really came of any of those investigations. Her time in office kind of ran out without much really going on there. Um, And, you know, she opted not to run for anything else and hasn't for a while. So um, I, you know, I don't, obviously she's never been referred for prosecution for anything like that and never was indicted or anything, but he, he was the independent counsel in that investigation. Yeah. And, and just a minute ago, you mentioned that you, you think that OJ Oleka might be the favorite in this race. And I think I probably agree He's kind of he he's young. Um, he's a young black man. He is a son of immigrants, and, and that's something that he talks about. And I feel like he's kind of been like like a Republican prodigy or like rising star, and and then now's his time to run. Yeah, you know, he kind of comes out of the McConnell kind of class, uh, you know. And Mitch McConnell has a, a you know a, a well developed record of pulling in these kind of urbane people of color who uh, are willing to run as conservative Republicans. I mean, Daniel Cameron is the one who has mm-hmm. had the most success recently. But if you look at like his staff, you know, his one of his main communications people is Stephanie Penn, who is a, a brown woman who I actually went to high school with. And, uh, you know, O.J. Oleka has been around for a long time. 
Um, mm-hmm. He's done a lot of like podcast interviews. He's somebody that Republicans in Kentucky, especially those associated with kind of like Mitch McConnell and, and kind of the the prevailing powerful uh, Republican wing have been been kind of promoting. So, you know, it kind of, you know, I would say that that's kind of the way I think about it. Andrew Cooper Ryder obviously is one of the champions of the Liberty Wave. Uh, you know, th- that group yeah. of people really loves him. He and, certainly has a base. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there aren't a lot of other, uh, you know, Liberty people who are running on this on this ticket, and that's something we'll get into in a while. So it could be kind of where they put all of their eggs into the Andrew Cooper Ryder basket. We will see if that nets anything, uh, especially against O.J. Oleka, who, for my money, is probably the most, uh, you know, I think the 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 probably the, the most formidable non-incumbent person on the Republican side running. Uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll get into that more as, as we move along. But yeah, that, that's kind of my breakdown. What do you think, Jasmine? No, I, I think that's right. I while I, I do think Andrew Cooperwriter has a base of voters and he is somewhat well known from running for Kentucky Senate and just for all the COVID stuff. Um, I don't know like I feel like that base like tops out at a certain percentage and I and I don't know if it's enough to win. A pri- I don't know if it's, you know, 30% or more. Yeah, even in a Republican primary, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and especially if, since, it, I mean, Mark Metcalf could throw a wrench into things, right? I mean, will he play spoiler? Will he siphon votes away from O.J. Leka? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, that would be mm-hmm. probably Andrew Cooperwriter's best bet. But yeah, I, I think you're you're right. Your analysis is right there. Yeah. Okay, so that's Treasurer. The next race I'm going to talk about is Auditor. And Kimberly Reeder is the only Democrat in that race. Um, she's a tax attorney. She's from Rowan County and lives in Frankfurt. Um, and in addition to practicing law, she's also taught at Rowan County High School, Holmes High School in Northern Kentucky, Moorhead, and with the Governor Scholars Program. Um, and she'll face Allison Ball, who served two terms as treasurer and is now running for auditor. Um, and prior to being state treasurer, Allison Ball practiced bankruptcy law and also worked as a prosecutor. The other Republican that's filed in that race is uh, Derek Petty's. He ran against Andy Barr in the Kentucky 6th Congressional primary in 2022 and only got about 12% of the vote. Um, in a 2022 candidate survey, he says he's pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-term limits. Um, and so I don't know a lot about him. I, I guess he is maybe also maybe running to the right of some of the like establishment Republicans. Yeah, I think that there's some nuance in saying he's running to the right of the establishment and saying that he is in the Liberty Wing, which I don't necessarily think is true. Like, I don't think he's like looped in with that group, even though they may be like ideologically similar. He's probably just more of like a like a gadfly candidate, like a perennial type guy who's okay, interested yeah. in running for office. Uh, yeah, that that's kind of my my assumption. I don't think like. I don't think he could come up to Savannah Maddox and she would give him a hug. You know, like, I don't know if that's exactly the type of person he is. Uh, Allison Ball should be the odds on favorite to win this. I think her name recognition yeah, is pretty high. You know, I don't. I do, too. You know, obviously not everybody in the state's going to know who the uh, the state treasurer is. That's just a fact of life. But I do think that many people do know who she is. And as people mm-hmm. walk into the, you know, do a little bit of research before walking into the ballot booth, the ballot box. The voting booth. <laughs> uh, they do a little bit of research. They're going to be like, well, who should I vote for? And they're like, oh, this lady was the treasurer already. She probably knows what's going on. This is an old Democratic trick where like people used to just kind of float through offices. Um, they would go from treasurer to auditor to these other kind of non-secretary of state, non-attorney general, non-gubernatorial races and just kind of trade those offices back back and forth. Now seems to be what Allison Ball is doing with the uh, going from treasurer to auditor. Yeah, and and I think I think this race would be tough for a Democrat to win because of Allison Ball's name recognition. Um, maybe more so even than some of the other down ballot races. Maybe I, I think it still is like in the general election. I think Allison Ball still is a bit of a you know I think you're you're probably right. Like Allison Ball will probably do better than like generic Republican, but just like marginally better. Um, you know she. She did do quite well. I think she got the most votes 
statewide. She said that she got the most votes statewide in both of her races. Yeah. Um. And, and but I think a lot of that had to do with the strength of the Democratic opponents on both sides. I was a little surprised that she didn't do as well as Ryan, or that she did better than Ryan Quarles, who's running for commissioner of agriculture. But there might have been a. I don't think that there was a third candidate in the race. So yeah, you know that that's. That's something to see there. You know, that's something to, to notice. And yeah, that's a good point. So that 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 probably does spell trouble for Kimberly Reader. But I think all of these Democratic candidates are just kind of hoping on Andy Bashir really blowing it out. Like if he does really, really yeah. well, like, you know, I don't I don't think it's at all likely, but I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to win by 10 points. You know, he has very high approval ratings and, and it, that does not necessarily lead to a big vote uh total but it could like it could it's possible um and and if it does he could pull some of these people across the finish line with him i don't think that that's likely but i think if you're one of these democratic candidates it's not it's not something you can't hope for it's not something that you don't think uh is possible to do so it's worth running hard um and i and so i don't think either michael bowman or kimberly reader should uh you know should just mail this in i i think that they 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 have a chance and and just kind of based on the races that we ran in 2019 i I think it's it's not likely that they're going to do that. So, um, you know. Yeah, but- I certainly don't think that Kimberly Reader will do that. She's a tax attorney, and, and she's running for this office because this is the office that she, she wants. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to find one of these down-ballot races and run. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to be the auditor because she has this expertise, um, and she's working hard to raise money. And so... Um, I, I think she'll be a strong candidate, um, but I do think she faces tough opposition in, in the general. And well, that is a potential line of attack for Kimberly Reader against Allison Ball too, because Allison Ball is just kind of jumping from office to office. Like, why did you run for treasurer? You know, you were term limited in the treasurer's office, and why are you now running for auditor? Do you just want to stay in office? Do you actually care about being auditor, or do you just right. want to stay? in state government and you know i really want to be auditor that's a line of you know and and i'm not sure how many how much people like pay attention to running for auditor you know adam edelin did a great job as auditor and and you know lost his re-election by a few points in and whatever that was 2015 um so that's that's tough so you know yeah that's uh that's 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 probably how that race will shape up but that's something we'll see yeah so for commissioner of agriculture we do have a democratic primary um, Sierra Inlow and Michael Malone are the candidates that have filed on the Democratic side. Sierra Inlow is an economic development advisor, and she's also an Emerge Kentucky alum. And Robert, I couldn't really find out who Michael Malone is. There is there is a Mike Malone who's a judge executive, um, but he's in Carter County, and this Michael Malone is from Winchester. And so I I don't. There, I can't find like a campaign page or anything, so I don't know. All right, well, yeah, Sierra Inlow is pretty well established. You know, um, she was making the rounds on uh, on election night, twenty twenty two. I actually saw her a couple places. Um, so you know, she's she's you know doing the doing the work that it takes at that juncture, and so I think she's going to run a a serious race. You know, she's been connected. She was w- one of the main staffers for Jack Conway during his race in 2015. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been around quite a bit. Like you mentioned, she's done a merge. She has some job. She's done some jobs in economic development. You know, she, she uh, is from a, a rural area and has some experience in agriculture. So like it's and you know, she's a, a young female candidate on the Democratic side running for agriculture commissioner, which is kind of unique, something that, you know, Republicans have had yeah. for a while. And where, whereas Democrats have, when they've contested this race, mostly run old white guys. Um, so this is, that's maybe a, a breath of fresh air for on the candidate level. But yeah, uh, that that's the race she's going to run. And if anybody knows who Michael Malone is, you know, let us know. Uh, I don't, I don't think that there's anything much that we can say about this race. Uh, besides there seems to be one candidate yeah. who's pretty well established and one that we don't know who they are. Um, there is also a primary on the Republican side for ag commissioner, former representative Jonathan shell is running against representative Richard Heath. Um, Heath has run for the office before and lost in the primary, um, and then we did a segment on Jonathan Shell on December 5th. So you can go back and hear a lot more about him and what 
you know, we thought about that race, but I'd say Jonathan Shell is the favorite. Yeah, I feel kind of bad for Representative Heath because it is pretty clear he's very passionate about agriculture and agricultural policy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and and like you know, not to say that Ryan Quarles and um and you know Jonathan Shell, both of them, you know, both have experience as farmers, worked in farmers, but definitely mm-hmm. like. You know, Ryan Quarles is running for governor. Jamie Comer, you know, is in Congress. This is uh, the Republicans that win this race often kind of see it as a stepping stone. Um, and, you know, they're they're just, you know, stomping all over poor Richard Heath, who's just trying to establish good agricultural policy in the state of Kentucky. So, yeah, that that's I, I think you're right. You know, Jonathan Chell's likely to be very favored. But, you know, Richard Heath, you know, good, good luck, buddy. Yeah. All right. So Secretary of State. Former Representative Buddy Wheatley is the only Democrat in the race, so no primary there. And we did a bit of a deep dive on him on last week's show, so you can go back and listen to that. He's also been on the show before. Um, And then, of course, incumbent Michael Adams is running for re-election. And we talked a little bit about his tenure in this matchup last week as well. He did draw two challengers. Stephen Nipper, who ran in the 2019 primary, and Alan Miracle. So Nipper also ran in 2015, um, and he lost to Allison Lundergan Grimes. And he's he's also been part of the Restore Election Integrity Tour with the likes of Adrian Southworth. Um, so. That's who he is. <laughs> yeah, definitely a little bit, you know, and, and as we're drawing nuances in the Republican Party, too, you kind of have those liberty folks who are kind of more aligned with Savannah Maddox. And then you have like the Adrian Southwark, Janine Hampton, Matt Bevan folks who are just a little bit wacky. <laughs> and it seems like he's he's kind of more in that in that camp. Yeah, um, which makes sense that he would pick Michael Adams as his candidate he'd be running against because. Michael Adams has been steadfastly pro democracy, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, Stephen Nipper probably isn't. So there you go. And, you know, even if it wasn't Michael Adams, he would probably run again because th- this is his, now his third time running for Secretary of State. Um, and then the other candidate is Alan Merkel, who is a former state representative um, from, I think he served in the 90s. Um, and when he filed the, there's like a reelect Michael Adams Twitter that tweeted a news article about Alan Miracle's ex-wife obtaining a restraining order against him. Yeah, that's rough. But if I'm Michael Adams, I would be kind of careful with playing that kind of game because, I mean, I know that there's some information floating around about him out there, too. So, you know, uh, if that's the kind of race he wants to run, you know. We'll see what comes out. Uh, that's that is that. Um, that's going to be an interesting primary, though, because it does kind of show the different kind of levels of the Demo- or the Republican Party in Kentucky and really nationally in terms of like if, if it if the if the race kind of remains about secretary of state type issues, um, you know, there are different philosophies on on uh, on display there. Um, and we'll see. We'll see where it lo- runs. I mean, Michael Adams is running as an incumbent. I, I think he's he's likely pretty favored to win this. Uh, but it is the race that I think Democrats are challenging m- most heavily. That attorney general and, and governor, obviously, are, are three that have, you know, well-established people who've won elections in the past as candidates. So, you know, one that one that um, he, he, you know, if you're a Democrat and you're looking for a race to, to focus on, you could do worse than focusing on secretary of state. Yeah. Um. So for Attorney General, Representative Colonel Pamela Stevenson is the presumptive Democratic nominee, so she does not have a primary challenger either. And we did a segment on her on our November 29th show, and she's been on our show several times, um, and it's always really great to talk to. So you can go back and listen to that deep dive um, if you want to know more. And then former U.S. attorney for the Western District of Kentucky, Russell Coleman, is the only Republican running. And we talked about him on September 28th. And I'm I'm not surprised that there's no primary on either side here because um, Pamela Stevenson is pretty well known among people who like follow state government and. Um, she's the first black woman to run for the race and she's really likable. And I, I'm not surprised that she um, didn't draw a challenger. I think she's a really strong candidate and I, I don't think someone would want to primary her. Um, 
And then Russell Coleman, Russell Coleman got started early. He's raised a ton of money. He got big endorsements. It was going to be hard for anyone to jump into that race. And so uh, I'm not surprised that we have the field for the general here. You're exactly right, Jasmine. And that's not to say there wasn't a lot of interest on both sides in this race. You know, there were a lot of people who were kind of floated as like, this person's probably looking at attorney general. But seeing the strength of these two candidates as they got out of the gate first was was enough to kind of scare other people away or maybe not scare away, but keep them away from the race. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think Buddy Wheatley was considering running for attorney general. I think there's maybe a few other names. Um but no, no primaries there. And then for the governor's race, there there really weren't any like heavy hitter surprises. Um, Bashir does have a primary against perennial candidate Jeff Young, um, who ran against Andy Barr for the sixth congressional seat. Um, and then Peppy Martin also filed to run. And she's a former Republican candidate for governor who's now running as a Democrat. And so... I don't think Bashir's going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, these are two of the strangest candidates in Kentucky, you know, political history. With Jeff Young, who's been running forever, and and you know, if you've gone to a Democratic event in the past decade or so, there's a good chance that Jeff Young has tried to disrupt it by, you know, storming the stage or holding up a sign or like refusing to leave and making a scene. And then Peppy Martin is uh, a continuous punchline as maybe the worst general election candidate for governor in the past century, uh, running against um, Paul Patton for his reelection campaign, and I think getting like. 15% or something like that. Some really, really small percentage when, when they ran against uh, Paul Patton. So, yeah, uh, I, again, yeah, I think you're dead on in saying Governor Pierre is not going to have a, a tough race. But, you know, having a primary that you can raise money against is is probably good for him. Um, and getting mm-hmm. your voters out and getting them ready and pe- prepped and all that kind of stuff is, is you know, just a good, good dress rehearsal for the general election. Yeah. And then there are 12 candidates that have filed on the Republican side. I think we've talked about all of the ones who I think are viable that have a chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but of course, um, we did not make it through filing day without a little bit of drama from Matt Bevan. So early that morning, uh, Matt Bevan tweeted for the first time since September He said, a beautiful day dawning in Kentucky. Make it a great day. And then there was a picture of like a sunrise and the highway. So I think the the media was all lined up outside the Secretary of State's office on Uh, Friday morning. And I think they were there uh, to see if Matt Bevan was going to file to run for governor. Yeah, this this certainly caused a pretty significant media storm whenever he he sent that out. A lot of people who had not planned on being in the Secretary of State's office rushed to there to see if he would file. He later tweeted at he later tweeted at 2:45 p.m. in the Capitol Rotunda primarily for space reasons and because some of you are probably tired of sitting on the floor outside the Secretary of State's office. I will share a few thoughts before proceeding down the hall. Uh, so he he called a press conference, I, I guess. Um, and whoever whoever had a presentation in the Capitol Rotunda had to pack it up and get out of there for Matt Bevan. Um, so he was he was a little bit late. He didn't make it at two forty five. Uh, but he was there. It's it's important to say filing the filing deadline is four p.m. So this is an yeah. hour and fifteen minutes before yeah. filing deadline. Yeah. So I think he got there around two fifty, and then he gave a speech in the rotunda. Um, and he spent he spent a good amount of time bashing JCPS and calling out the media. Basically, um, he also made references saying. Things like others that are already in the race, which would maybe indicate that he is also going to be in the race. Um, (laughs) And he spoke for almost 25 minutes and then he walked out and he hopped in a big white van that drove off. (laughs) And that was the end. Um, Four o'clock came and went. He did not file for governor. And so Bevan just trolled everyone. 
you know, when it comes to Matt Bevan, you know, we have these memories of him as the governor and it was brutal and terrible and he was so bad at it. And he was so he was an awful he was the worst governor in the country. I mean, there 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 to me uh, was no doubt that like there was nobody worse at the job of being governor than Matt Bevan. But it's important to remember that he won the Republican primary and he he won the general election by like nine points. And, you know, he he did a decent job running against Mitch McConnell uh, in a Senate primary before. And he kind of this was the person that he was before, right? This was the person he was when he was running for those offices, pulling stunts like these, being kind of crazy, being a little off kilter. Um, and I feel like this kind of behavior, while I think it's a little bit psychotic, is endearing to a certain segment of the population. And I think it's like, it is, I mean, I get the comedy of it. I get like, he seriously whipped everybody up into a tizzy, made a speech and then walked off, which is kind of funny if you come at it from this sort of like antisocial um, chaos forward form of like, uh, that's how, how you like to view politics. So, you know, Bevin being Bevin, I'm glad he didn't file to run. Yeah, same here, Robert. Um, so that is the field for 2023. And I guess I was just going to ask you, Robert, um, are there any primaries that you think will be competitive? And are there any are there races that you see a Democrat being competitive other than the governor's race? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the kind of the story that I'm tracking the most here is just like how few primaries there are, right? There's just right. I mean, there's there's a not really competitive one on the governor's side. On you know, Governor Bashir is going to win that with like eighty percent of the vote or whatever. Uh, and there is Sierra Inlow against this guy who nobody really knows who that is on the Democratic side, and really that's it. And on the Republican side, which is typically much more competitive and doesn't have a lot of incumbents running, right? Um, we do we have any incumbents? We have Michael Adams. Is he the only incumbent on the Republican side that's running at all? I think that's right. Cause uh yeah, and, and really even mm-hmm. even with that as the case, there's really just Michael Adams drawing two challengers, um, and then this competitive race for treasurer, and, and that's really it in terms of who they have to vote for in, in that race. Oh, excuse me, we do have an uh, agriculture commissioner primary as well. Um, but we have heavy favorites, I think, in pretty much every race out there, um, se- except maybe Treasure on the Republican side, and, and even yeah, still, that's I, what I was gonna say. I would say OJ Aleka is is probably the favorite there, but you know, mm-hmm. stranger things can have happened, you know, and I I think. You know, it, it's not. A, I, I would be surprised if Michael Adams lost. I would be surprised if Jonathan Shell lost. Um, but you know that that's kind of the story. Is like this is you know primary day in in Kentucky is not 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 going to be uh, that interesting of an election that we have to pay attention to here. Um, but, but given that, you know, I think it sets up for a pretty interesting general election. You know, I would say in 2019. Democrats were very happy with Governor Bashir, or, you know, at that time, Attorney General Bashir's race that he ran for governor. But all the way down the ticket, I think all of the candidates ran a pretty disappointing race. I mean, the two top the, the two top names in 2019 besides Governor Bashir were Greg Stumbo, who at the time was pretty washed up, had already lost his House seat uh, and was running for an office he'd already had. I think a lot of people didn't expect him to follow through with running for attorney general when he filed. And then Heather French Henry, who a lot of people I think were excited about when she was running, but I think a lot of people have looked back and said she didn't run a very good race. And then you had Michael Bowman and you had uh, – you know, who was the uh, the treasurer, the auditor candidate Sherry was Donahue. Sherry Donahue and the uh, the uh, agriculture. I can see him. I can see his face. Robert Haley Conway. Robert Haley Conway. There you go. See, you're much better with names. Uh, we've been over this many times before, Jasmine. But, <laughs> um, but I feel like Democrats were pretty disappointed in. You know, the, the the bottom three candidates had trouble getting off the ground. They don't have as well-established of networks. I think Democrats have a good chance with two people who have won elections recently in Buddy Wheatley and, and 
um, and you know Pam Stevenson and, and Michael Bowman, who has some experience under his belt. Sierra Inlow, who is pretty well established and and has a network uh, to to work with. Um, you know, and 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 then Kim Reader, who to me is the most unknown, but you seem to trust pretty heavily and have a good story for. I mean, th- these are some put, we, there's a lot of potential on this ticket. Um, you know, they're facing significant headwinds, but you know if they do catch the wind in their sails. It's not outside of the question that, that Democrats, you know, surprise some people, maybe win a couple of these offices. Um, it's it's not outside the possibility, realm of possibility to me. Um, we, we will really see. And, and I think Republicans are kind of out on the back foot nationally. You know, they didn't do as well in the 2022 election nationally as they thought they would. Even since then, um, kind of like the, the mood about Republicans has kind of been on the back foot, you know, with everything that's gone on in Washington, D.C., and with all politics being nationalized, that's really benefited Republicans in the past several cycles. But, you know, the shoe may be on the other foot a little bit in terms of, like, you know, some of this behavior seems a little ridiculous um, coming out of Washington, D.C., and that might help Democrats in 2023. Yet to be seen, uh, but not anything that I would think would be crazy, especially given how popular Andy Bashir is. has you know proven to be i mean what do you think jasmine do you i mean uh, am i being absolutely crazy there or is there some hope for democrats uh, on this ticket i think there's hope for andy Bashir, and then i think for another democrat to win something weird would have to happen with a republican candidate or something but i think it's going to be really hard but i do think we have strong candidates running and I I like that there is um, some geographic diversity on the ticket with uh, Kimberly reader has roots in round County and lives in Frankfurt. And then Sierra Enlow is from LaRue County, buddy Wheatley from Northern Kentucky. Um, And we we have, you know, we don't have all men. We have a mix of men and women and the first black woman to run for attorney general. And so I, you know, I, I like what I see with, Democrats that are running, um, but it, it's just going to be really difficult. Um, yeah, seeing you know every every election season, Republicans are, are gaining more ground. Um, mm-hmm. well, you know they 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 gained more the state. they gained more ground in twenty twenty two after redistricting, but just like in a pure vote world. Right. It's hard to say because there's there so many uncontested races in the legislature. Um, it was really tough for Democrats because of the redistricting situation. You know, those amendment votes, I mean, they weren't partisan, but they kind of were. And, and Democrats mm-hmm. actually actually kind of like won. The Democratic position kind of won. So, you know, it's it is kind of hard to it's hard to say, I think, w- with like a statewide trend where things are going. But but yes, I, I mean. Yeah, the, I think the, we'll find out this year. <laughs> we're we're a, we're a deeply red, very conservative state, and 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 that um you know Democrats have to deal with that. They they have to deal with that if if they're gonna have if we're gonna have any chance to you know win in the future. So you know I think that that's that's kind of the, the the place that we're at. All right, um that was the very exciting filing day segment. Now let's talk a little bit about the first part of the legislative session. All right, so Jasmine, as you well know, the odd number of years the Kentucky General Assembly meets for a short period of time. Typically what happens is during the first week of January, they meet for a week to kind of set things in order, establish committee chairs, set up the, you know, give committee assignments. The The election has just happened. There are a lot of freshmen that need to get oriented to show them where their offices are, give them committee assignments, tell them where they're going to be. Then once that's kind of all established after four days of legislating, they take a break for about a about a month and typically then at the beginning of being beginning of february they start back up again uh and really get down to business and that's how it went uh there there are other times where we've been a little surprised at the amount of legislation that's happened in the first week but this time not a lot of stuff passed just one bill went all the way through and a few and a few other passed one chamber so senate bill 10 is the bill that was already passed by both chambers and 
was signed into law by Governor Bashir. It was passed unanimously in both the House and the Senate. It's just a technical change to professional employer organizations. I think it was like a deadlining issue to say like some stuff was supposed to like expire at the end of the month. They extended it to, to July. It seemed like something that was kind of pressing, so they just kind of like got it out of the way. Very non-controversial, signed by Governor Bashir. No Democrats put up any opposition to it at all. So that's one piece of legislation that made it all the way through. There were two other pieces of legislation that passed the House that kind of work in conjunction with each other. Uh, They provide funding for cost overages at a veteran's nursing home in Bowling Green. Um, they take money that would have been spent on electric vehicle chargers. The national uh, that and I think that that bill was actually passed before the infrastructure bill was passed in D.C. So I think that there's a lot more money available for that federally. So they took some of the state money away from that and put it towards the cost overages at this veterans nursing home in Bowling Green. Um, and uh, both of those bills passed the, the House unanimously. Again, no no opposition there. Um, but this has actually been kind of a long fight in Bowling Green, and some of this money has been moved around to different veterans nursing homes at, at different points in time. And this bill, I think, has actually passed one chamber before and then was stymied at the other. So the Senate still has to take this up. I don't think it's a guarantee that they will, but the fact that it passed before the break, I think it's good news for it and it seems likely that it's going to pass. The other piece of legislation that passed the House was the most controversial, and that was HB1. Uh, that is the bill that lowers the income tax to 4.5%. We've talked a little bit about this before. We actually have a guest coming on in a few weeks that's going to talk to us about it a lot more. Um, but, you know, that's something the legislature has said that they wanted to do quickly. And the bill passed the House in a very partisan manner, 79 to 19. Every Democrat except for Ashley Tackett Lafferty voted against it. Uh, and I feel like it's almost positive to pass the Senate after they return. So that was what they did in terms of the floor um, with those four bills. Jasmine, were you surprised at all at the HB1 vote or anything about these bills uh, that we've talked about so far? No, I'm not surprised. And the HB1 vote, it, I don't think it's surprising that Ashley Tackett Lafferty was the Democrat to vote for it because she's the lone Democrat um, in the House from Eastern Kentucky. And so she has a more conservative constituency. And so that doesn't surprise me. And it doesn't surprise me that all the Republicans voted for it because this has been. A big priority, and and we knew that coming into the session. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. I mean, I think it's disappointing. I do know that there was some hope that they would get some le- some Republican legislators peeled off on this. I do think that there are some there's some soft support on the Republican side for this. Um, you know, and I think if it if it gets cut even further, that that soft support may switch to opposition. But I think it's going to be tough to get 50 people that are interested in preserving the income tax at all. Um, so we'll see what happens in the, you know, in the near future with the income tax. Um, you know, the rest of what we have to do is to kind of like parse through the tea leaves in terms of who's sponsoring what and all that kind of stuff. So the legislator who's been the most active in sponsoring legislation is actually John Hogston, who is uh, from Louisville. He's the guy that took over Jerry Miller's seat after his retirement last year. He's in kind of East and Southeast Louisville, outside of the gene snyder freeway mostly and he's actually sponsored 15 different bills uh, but he hasn't had any bills that he's been the chief sponsor of he's mostly just added his name to a bunch of stuff some of the bills he's added himself to are pretty weird um the three bills who the primary sponsor is felicia rayburn felicia rayburn is very very close with savannah maddox she's one of the most conservative members of the house as well as uh, he's also added himself to Mark Hart's bill. This is Mark Hart's bill that he's pa- he's uh, sponsored in several legislative sessions that attempts to make water fluoridation optional. Um, this was, of course, a big, big part of a joke in uh, Dr. Strangelove, if you like that movie, the Stanley Kubrick movie from the 60s. Uh, and- oh, this is a joke from Parks and Rec, too. Yes, and that's... It's you know, too flow. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, this is this is a joke. For, this is a long, long-term joke. Uh, people, this is a conspiracy theory with long, a long history that water fluoridation is like controlling our minds or whatever. Um, 
Um, but yes, that the movement to stop water fluoridation in uh, in Kentucky is is gaining steam. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, it, you know if John Hogsden is necessarily the best fit for for Louisville. Um, I think he's already kind of carving himself out a spot as more conservative than Jerry Miller. Like Jerry Miller was a bit of an institution. He did very well in his district. Uh, you know, even though he was from Louisville, he won very easily in just about every election he stood up for. But I think you know John Hogsden is kind of carving himself a much more conservative path than Jerry Miller. So, you know, there was some filing day shenanigans going on with, uh, with this race in Louisville, but I certainly hope that, you know, Democrats are able to recruit an opponent. There are some good folks who've run this. This was a race that had a primary, I think two times, uh, I think in 2018 and in 2020, there was a primary for this. Um, you know, uh, so hopefully, you know, we can get a good candidate up against John Hogsden. He may not be the best guy for this seat. Yeah. So, The part of Jefferson County um, that he represents includes Fisherville, which is still in Jefferson County, but you wouldn't think it is. Um, I went to a neighborhood in Fisherville not that long ago, and there were a lot of Trump flags still up, a lot of cop cars and driveways um so I, yeah <laughs> it seemed like a lot of lmpd officers live there yeah um so it 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 definitely is more conservative um but it it was disappointing that there's not a democrat to run in that area because i know it's it's still part of jefferson county <laughs> yeah and and you know, Fisherville, first of all, isn't the whole district. This this district expands right. quite a bit west of there. And also, Fisherville is kind of a unique place. Like, it, you know, I'm not – like, yes, I it's actually kind of close to where my grandparents live. And, you know, some of my – I have – my parents have some good friends that live in Fisherville. So I actually go out there, like, not on an unusual basis. And, yeah, it is – it's a conservative suburb, but, like – it's not Shelby County. Like it votes much more mm-hmm. democratically than like many. Like once you like really once you cross the border of Jefferson County, the world changes. Um, and I don't really understand why. But even places like Fisherville are much more democratic than like even the most liberal precinct. You know, in in pretty much anywhere else in the state. So um, it, it's it is you know still a Republican seat. I think Donald Trump actually carried this district. I think. The Republican senator candidates have won most of the time here. But, you know, th- this, this is a seat where I, I certainly do hope Democrats put up a good candidate next time. Okay, so, um, you know, unsurprisingly, three Democrats are among the legislatures with the most chief sponsorships. And, I, you know, I say that because the Democratic Party has a lot of priorities that they want to make sure that they fire, file bills about. And there's only 20 Democratic legislators. So they all have to kind of carry a heavier load sort of than than republicans of course they all they are doing and carrying the load is filing the bill <laughs> and filing then, them and then saying please 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 uh and then nothing yeah. happens versus like you know even if you're a republican and you only get one bill you you know you may very well get a committee hearing you may very well have it advanced and, and you may get it passed um the uh nima kolkarni uh has sponsored seven pieces of legislation which means that she is the, the person who with the, the most bills that she's chief sponsoring um, including HB 47 and 48, which are major Democratic cannabis bills. We're going to have um, a guest talking about cannabis here in a couple weeks, maybe next week. HB 128 is another bill that she's the chief sponsor of, and that's about renters' rights. And she's got several more that she's carrying. Sherilyn Stevenson and Derek Graham each have sponsored six. Um, and, and two other legislators uh, have also sponsored six pieces of legislation and they're actually uh, the ideological ends of the spectrum of the Republican Party. So Kim Banta and Savannah Maddox, who I, you know, in my in my estimation, and I think I actually have some data on this, are the most liberal and the most conservative per- people in the Republican caucus. Um, you know, so you know, obviously for those wings of the party they're carrying more legislation. So I think the more isolated you are in terms of ideology, the more likely you are to be the chief sponsor of legislation. And I think that 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 is kind of how Kim Banta and Savannah Maddox are on the Republican side of the House. Of course, the amount of legislation sponsored doesn't tell us much about the priorities of the session. Nothing else has even really been assigned to committee, so we don't really have that many clues about you know what they're going to do. It seems like that the legislature might have been serious when they said they're going to take things slower this year. We have several weeks before they come back, so you know we'll see what they do once they do come back. 
One thing that we didn't mention last week that we probably should have mentioned is that there was a little bit of drama <laughs> with Senator Adrian Southworth, who I think made an earlier mm-hmm. appearance in our show. She was kind of um, ostracized from the Republican caucus. She has been removed from all but one committee. I don't think that in the Kentucky legislature you can be removed from all committees. I think you have to have at least one committee assignment, which isn't necessarily true in the federal Congress. But, um, yeah, she only has one committee that she's on, and she has been assigned a seat in the back of the chamber next to the Democrats. So she used to have a better seat. Now she has a bad seat. Um, in addition, the Republicans in the Senate changed the rules to allow for members to be kicked out of a caucus. And there were a lot of people who said that this was actually directed at Southworth over her you know, <laughs> proclivity to promote misinformation about the election process, uh, which is, again, something we talked about earlier when we talked about the Secretary of State's race. Lots more members in the legislature, including a few senators. I mean, I want to, like, call out Lindsay Titchener, the new uh, senator uh, from kind of Oldham County. Uh, she's in Oldham County, right? Yeah, Oldham County. She's she's my senator oh, yeah. um, in com- where I live in Jefferson County. And coming into Jefferson County. Yeah, they are ideologically akin to Senator Southworth. Like, I, I think that the, the caucus of people like Senator Southworth is growing. So this is, I think, kind of a warning to them. Like, don't do crazy things. I know you want to, but don't, or else we're going to do this to you. <laughs> um, to me, I don't think it's going to change their behavior. I think, uh, you know, they, there's a bit of pride in, in people like this in, you know, running afoul of, like, the scions of power. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see how it kind of plays out. But, um, yeah, Senator Southworth was quite ostracized in the first week back in the legislature. I thought... She gave a couple quotes about it that I thought were great, though. Like, they asked someone asked her about her seat, and she was like, "Now I can just see everyone." (laughs) And then when they asked her about her only being on one committee, and she's like, "I just have more time to research bills now." She actually did have a few people show up in the the uh, Capitol to like support her. I mean, it's like yeah, she did. You know, it was like six or eight people, but uh, I mean. That's just for her. So that's, you know, that's really that's mm-hmm. kind of something. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, we'll, we'll see what this kind of thing ha- does. Uh, this is something I, I back in the day, uh, the late Joe Bowen used to have a podcast about Kentucky politics. And he, of course, was a senator in um, in Frankfurt, a Republican senator in Frankfurt. And he said that caucus is too big and they've only gotten bigger. So <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of something maybe they're taking some control back from the the rank and file in the in the republican caucus so i don't know anything else we need to say about the uh the first week of the legislative session there jasmine no i think the only well the only thing i can think of that i have been kind of hearing things about is republicans sponsoring a bill to ban tiktok from Uh, yeah state devices so that's another bill that we'll see if there's any movement on. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, of course, the Senate Democratic Caucus has a, a well-known TikTok uh, across the country. You know, um, Morgan McGarvey's made the move to to send it to Congress, uh, U.S. Congress. There, there was a great farewell yeah, TikTok. Yeah, But, you know, there is good reason to do that. I mean, it is, it, you know, I don't. not a lot of legislators do TikTok because they love the medium. They may do it to try to you know communicate better or whatever um but you know it's it's ties to the chinese communist party and espionage is a little troubling um but yeah i did see that even the members of the senate democratic caucus were open to it despite the fact that it's probably Mm -hmm. the best thing that they have going for for them right now Um, (laughs) yeah so so yeah that i i saw that as well so yeah all right yeah that's something to to keep abreast of um okay um well I think that that's it for this week. We are going to be having a guest next week, believe it or not. Um, but we did we did a pretty good show, Jasmine. We got a lot to talk about um, in terms of the filing deadline and the first week of the legislative session. So, Jasmine, how can people find out about us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyOldKYPod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a Patreon where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And we're have a we have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>